Welcome back, guys. This is Encounter with God. Bible study time right here on Faith FM. We've got a few text messages to get through. Okay, so uh, we've had a uh, text message coming through here. Let me just go back. Let's see what came through. Uh, we were talking about thunderstorms killing people earlier. Yes, we were. And being watching out. Now is the time of year when the deadly ones come through. Yeah, so. So a thunderstorm came through in Melbourne in 2016, killed nine people in a few minutes through pollen attacks. Mm. So uh, massive asthma attacks as a result of pollen being um, being vaporised and then, well, not vaporised, but yeah, kind of vaporised and pushed back down onto the surface of the earth and just, yeah, hitting people like a sledgehammer. Uh, three and a half thousand people hospitalized. But somebody wanted to point out that in the last days, hail will fall on unrepentant sinners, the weight of a talent. That's 20 to 40 kilograms or 50 to 100 pound hailstones. So, to put that in perspective, that's a block of ice the size of a watermelon. Oh. So this is thunderstorms that is going to do a lot of damage because, you know, we think that we're pretty smart as human beings. When we build something extremely high-tech and scientific like an atomic bomb and it can wreak a lot of destruction in a short space of time, all God has to do to accomplish the same thing is freeze water. Same result right there. Mm. And so, of course, this person is mentioning... Uh, one of the last plagues. In fact, this is part of the very last plague. It comes right at the end of the seven last plagues, just before the return of Christ, and demonstrates some of the environmental conditions that will happen on our world just before Jesus comes back. And it's going to be a very, very serious time. The Bible also talks about God's people being protected during that time. And a great psalm to memorize if you ever feel anxious about it, because there's no need to feel anxious about it. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, none of these hailstones can land on you. Uh, the Bible says you know, in Psalms chapter 91 that we can hide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's the place where we can hide. The Bible says a thousand shall fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but no plague is coming anywhere near where you are living. And that's a tremendous promise right there. I think we should all Remember those promises of God and take them very, very deeply to heart. If you've got something you'd like to share, we would love to hear from you. Simply call us on 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669 and share your thoughts. Where We'll be happy to share them whether we agree with them or not. It is the open line, so send them through to us here uh, on Faith FM. For our Bible study today, we begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And while Renee is turning there, just a quick reminder that the end.digital continues this evening. In fact, out of the series of presentations, and, and as a presenter, one of the things that you find when you do a series of presentations, there's always one or two that stand out to you that you enjoyed the most. You know how it is, Renee, when you, you know, have a few different sermons, and there's some that you just enjoy more than others. Yeah. Okay, tonight's presentation this one. is my favorite mm. out of the series. Okay. So I'm super excited to share it with you. Yes. And then I'm super excited to hear your questions after the show. <laughs> yeah. So please send them through to us. We would love to hear from you. And if you don't catch the number for the show... Uh, for the end dot digital, then shoot them through on the one uh, eight hundred number or the text number for Faith FM, and we'll answer them here on the radio. Uh, we've had some really good questions coming through. All right, where are we up to? 
Second Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen to twenty-one. Before we read that, um, we were we were talking earlier about how human relationships often break down, how we become estranged from people. Um, people kind of wander out of our lives, and we lose contact with them. Never, never, never kind of see them again. And uh, how do we heal broken relationships, particularly ones that broke up in bad circumstances? And so Renee, Renee and I, were, we were sort of comparing notes yeah. between two different cultures. <laughs> Renee comes from a, uh, uh, a Polynesian, South Pacific culture, mm-hmm. of course, born here in Australia. But born in Tonga. No, no, born in Tonga. That's yeah. right. You weren't born in Australia. Yeah. You born in Tonga. Yeah. You seem so Aussie. <laughs> yeah, I was raised in Australia. So, uh, but. But raised by a whole community. Yes. Yeah. I was just telling you, like, all my aunties I consider almost like my second mothers, my yes. mothers and my uncles as well. Like, and I have my grandpa, but my biological grandpa, but his brothers I also consider my grandpas as well. So. How many, how many cousins do you have? Ooh, on my, on my mom's side, probably like 10, but on my dad's side, some I haven't even met. They're still in the islands. I haven't gone there yet to meet them, you know. So over 30, over 50, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, this is, this is the kind of, and, and as a young, as a young girl growing up, mm-hmm. you would have had a whole community that raised you. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's just amazing. Uh, I loved it. I just love that the mother didn't have all the, the parents didn't have all the pressure to get it right. You know, you're, you're there. My my uncles and aunties were there to help. Did you have lots of uncles and aunties who weren't actually your uncles and aunties? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. They were my mom's friends or the her. Yeah. You know. And, and they were the ones who, uh, <laughs> who could get away with spoiling oh, you. Oh yes. They, spo- <laughs> they spoiled us. Um, yeah. Loved that. <laughs> and I think this is one of the things where, you know, for uh, somebody like myself, an Australian, we have this very individualistic attitude and we sort of hang out by ourselves. Mm. The place where we can most easily create community and have a community environment in which our children grow up, can grow up, is church. Mm. And so it makes it really, really critical that we become a part of a church community and don't just isolate ourselves because it takes a community to raise a child and mm-hmm. to raise a child that is uh, going to be you know, that fits in socially mm-hmm. in society. Um, and so when we talk about these broken you know, I was talking about, I was, you know, comparing my life and, you know, I knew who my grandparents were and I knew who my parents and brother was and that was about it. I had a vague idea that there was some cousins somewhere. Yeah. Uh, we did actually have one cousin that spent some time with us. Uh, that was wonderful, but that was really the only connection that I had with broader family. mm and thankfully, I had a great church family mm-hmm. where there were lots of great mentors in my life that had a huge influence on you know who I've become today. Mm. Uh, I remember a fellow by the name of John LeDrew, and when my mother passed away, he was a, he was a, he was a major rock, a mentor mm-hmm. uh, in my life, somebody that I could look up to, and who was. Not just a rock and not just a mentor, but a very godly and devout man as well who mm. really, really loved the Lord and just seriously uh, followed Jesus with his whole heart. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. He was um, yeah, your typical eccentric Dutchman. Oh. <laughs> Fantastic. I love, I love, I love the, uh, the Dutch people. They're so amazing. Uh-huh. Agreed. Um, but, yeah, you know, 
how did I? What did I have to do to find out about my family? I'd do a DNA test just yeah. to find out that I actually had family that existed. <laughs> so it's kind of exciting to, uh, in the last few weeks since I did that, to actually track to down some uh, some family. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. One of the listeners, by the way, from America in the end last night, um, mm. just texted our radio show and and just wanted to share, and so. Um, this person says, I was very impressed by the presentation on American End last night. A real eye-opener. I recommend all your listeners to watch the presentations if you want to know what the future holds. Mm. And so, um, yeah, super thankful for the support. Praise so God. Great, yeah, but, great uh, feedback. Great feedback, great recommendation. Yeah. Great review right there. Mm. I don't know about you, but... Lots of times if I'm going to go somewhere or see something or do something, it's like, what do the reviews say? Yes, what do others think? So there's a review. I don't know what the other reviews say, but uh, there's a review. If you want to send a review through, please then do. Uh, please do. We'd be more than happy to hear from you and to share it here on the radio show. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 uh, through 21. Got to start in verse 16. We'll take this one verse at a time. Okay. So... So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Okay, so essentially what you've got Paul here uh, doing is comparing the way that we look at others and the way that we look at Christ Christ and the way that we used to look at Christ and the way that we look at Christ now. Mm-hmm. What are the comparisons that he's making here? What are the differences that are coming through? The ooh. So we used to look at Christ as just being a human. Who do we look at Christ as being now? Uh, our saviour, our brother, our friend, our mediator. Yes. All of those. Mm. Our God. Somebody who wants to have a relationship with us. Mm. Which gives a very, very different perspective on who Jesus is. And it also, it doesn't just give us a different perspective on who Jesus is, it gives us a different perspective on who the people around us are. Because in the past, without Christ in our life, we look at other people as other people. With Christ in our life, we look at other people as the blood-bought sons and daughters of God, of incredible value. You know, it can be very easy to look down on somebody from a, you know, a, maybe a, a lower socioeconomic environment or something like that and think, well, you know, we've accomplished more in our life than what they have because we've made better decisions, we've worked harder, uh, therefore that we are better than what they are. You know, this, these kind of thoughts, we can be tempted to have these kind of thoughts. Yeah. But that's not how God looks at these people. God looks at these people as someone that he gave his life for. He looks at these people as being people who are of incredible value and that can go on to do incredible things for God and people who are worth investing our time and energy into. And so this is um, something that... You know, we need to take on board is to change the way in which we view people because we change the way in which we look at who Jesus is. If Jesus was just another normal human being, if Jesus was just a, a good person who lived 2,000 years ago, that would not make 
any difference whatsoever at all yeah. to the way in which we look at others. Mm. But because he's not just a good person who lived 2,000 years ago, because he's the son of God who gave his life for us, then we look at others as being the blood-bought children of God. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, next verse. Where are we up to? Uh, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Okay, so now we start to move on to this whole reconciliation process that ha- takes place between God and humanity. Yeah. So it begins by, okay, let's change the way that we look at people. All right, but then, you know, anyone who gives their life to Jesus Christ becomes a new person. So let's say that we, you know, we had this uh, person that we may have looked down on. Maybe they lived a criminal life and were involved in criminal activity. Maybe they did some really bad things in the past. The Bible says when they give their lives to Jesus Christ, what happens? They're a new person. Absolutely. And if they're a new person, then this is the power of God that changes them. And so becoming, you know, a child of God is not just something that takes place on paper. It's more than that. Mm. It's, it actually transforms the human being. And you hear these stories, you know, David was sharing some stories earlier about people's lives have been transformed. And, you know, I was, I was impressed by that story of the bus driver. Mm. You know, you had this, this terribly dysfunctional family where the whole family had fallen into uh, just, uh, you know, drug abuse and, and, you know, physical abuse, all kinds of different abuses that were existing in this family. One of the children succeeded like really, really succeeded. The psychologist who was studying the family was like, why is, why is one of these children, you know, got their PhD and doing amazing things in the world, so to speak, and the rest of them are in and out of jail and addicted to substances and just can't get their life together. So he looked at it and he's like, well, is it an issue with the parents? No, the parents were, you know, they were all alcoholics and jailbirds as well and it wasn't coming from there. Interviewed the person, and it was the bus driver. It was the school bus driver who, when he picked this kid up on a daily basis, didn't see a loser, but saw somebody who was of incredible value a child, a kid who was worth the blood of Jesus Christ, and just gave him a friendly welcome. Good morning, sunshine. How are you today? Mm. That's all he said every day. Transform this kid's life. Mm. You know, we can make a massive difference in the lives of people around us. Yeah, and we need to do that. Yeah, and imagine just this man believing in this kid. Imagine you, yourself believing in your in 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 what God has done for you and your identity in Christ. Yes, that what that can do for your for your life. That's right. God sees us at our best even when we are at our worst. Good comment right there coming through from uh, on the text line. God sees us at our best even when we are at our worst and praise God for that. Where would we be without that? Let's have the next verse there. Uh, where are we up to? Verse 18, I think it is. Mm-hmm. 
And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Okay, the ministry of reconciliation or the task of reconciling people to God. So all of this, you know, is a result of the power of God. It's what God has done in our life. Um, And God has called us to share that with other people around us. Mm. Renee, read the next verse and tell us all about it. Um, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. All right. What's it all about? Um, Well, it's talking about how God has sent Jesus to, 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 to us as a sacrifice and I guess yeah the whole the whole thing of reconcil- reconciling us to God it's restoring that relationship that we lost restoring our image back to that of the character of God and yeah bringing us closer because before before Jesus died we we were separated we yeah we didn't really have hope but yeah God really just brought us together <laughs> It's interesting because you see it take place in our world in a uh, 6 to 8 generation cycle Mm. Um, and this is this is when you study this from a historical perspective, it becomes a little bit frustrating. Is because like why can't people actually learn from this? And so you find people who are living in terrible circumstances. Terrible circumstances are typically connected to terrible lifestyles. So you'll have poverty, which is connected to substance abuse which is connected to uh, child abuse. So you have these abuses that all sort of connect to each other and it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. And what happens is that when people are at the bottom of that cycle, there's only one way, one direction they can go and that is up or stay at the bottom. And Jesus Christ really means something to them when they meet Jesus Christ and has a massive transformative effect on their lives. I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about this uh, six to eight generation cycle in just a moment. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, where are we up to? We were looking at Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, we were talking about. That's right. We were talking about the cycle. Yes, the cycle that you see in history. It's a it's a it's a six to eight generation cycle. And it works a little bit like this. You have people who are sort of like at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. There's uh, what you find at the bottom is a lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, drug abuse, substance abuse, addictions, low socioeconomic, all of that kind of you know situation, um, unemployment, and people are really struggling. And when they find Jesus Christ, they latch onto Jesus Christ with both hands, and it's incredibly transforming for them. It changes their lives. It makes them into a new and a better person. Yeah. And over a process of generations, uh, by the time you come to the uh, the second generation, you've got you know a group of uh, young people who now are are being raised by parents who are super passionate about what they've found because of the difference it has made in their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's what they are seeing. They're also being raised in a church community. Mm. And so what that does is that then they go on to be, you know, 
much higher educated, much higher income, much higher expectations that then passes on to their children and these are the ones who are becoming major pillars in society Mm -hmm. and that continues until about the third or fourth generation when you have a generation that is born that doesn't actually appreciate the blessings that they have and so they just wander away from God. And once again, the effects of that are not immediately apparent but it's apparent in their children because then it starts the cycle going back down again and so then you end up over a couple of generations you have uh, another family that is right at rock bottom because they've walked away from God they've rejected the things of God they're now you know unemployed and living in abusive relationships and multiple relationships and uh, children are being raised without their parents and you know everything that goes with that Mm. until somebody from there discovers Jesus Christ it's as 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 some historians have st- stated, you know, uh, good times produce so hard times. Sorry, hard times make strong men. Yeah, strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Yeah, it's that cycle, that exact cycle. Historians have recognized it, that it takes place, but not all of them have recognized the role of conversion in how that actually happens and how that actually works. Can conversion happen in any other stage other than, you know, when you hit rock bottom? Or does conversion, it usually- can, conversion can work at any stage. Mm-hmm. And the cycle that I've just described is a typical cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, there are many, many examples of people who, you know, and families that have not followed that cycle. Yeah. Many examples. But it's not an uncommon cycle to see happen. And happen over and it's a, such to me it frustrates me because it's such a simple formula, and I look at it and I go, "What well, you know what? If only people could learn from the history of the past." Yeah, yeah. If only. I, what I love about the gospel is that it really breaks that cycle. That and it's just so transformative. That's right. Absolutely. At any point, it breaks that cycle. Yes. Yeah. Any when point. somebody discovers Jesus Christ, it um, just transforms their life. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was listening. Okay. Text message. I was listening to the song, I Praise God, for giving us not only a speaking voice, but a singing voice, mm. which is completely different. What a beautiful gift. Mm. It's so true. I do really appreciate music, even though I struggle to participate. Oh, not much of a singer. (laughs) You sing, right? I sing in in groups. I'm not a solo singer. Yeah, but you sing. Yes, yeah. I think I've never met an islander who doesn't sing. (laughs) Yeah. Do you play a guitar or anything like that? Yes, I play guitar. (laughs) Why am I even asking this question? She comes from Tonga and Samoa. (laughs) I play violin as well. Oh, violin. That's different. (laughs) That's, that's um, That's a tough instrument. Yes, it actually is. You sound horrible for the first five years in my experience. That's just me. <laughs> what got started you on violin? Uh, my sister played it. Okay. And what got started, what started like she began because she saw, she was in like year three and she saw an ad for it and she said, Mom, I want to play the violin. And Why my not? mom's like, Yes, my child, of course. <laughs> Go, mum. Yeah. Go, mum. What a great mum right there. very happy for us to be musical. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what else do you play? 
Just guitar and violin, guitar and, violin. and my other siblings play other instruments. What are, so you've got a whole orchestra in your home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what are all the instruments you have that are being played in your home? So just piano. The younger ones play the piano. My brother plays a saxophone as well as a trumpet, so part of a brass band. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's yep. brass bands in those big island churches. And uh, my sisters are learning violin as well. And um, my, my other sister likes to – my older sister likes to experiment with the va- mandolin. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, such a blessing. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to uh, – where were we going to next? Colossians chapter 1 is our next passage. Colossians chapter 1. Yep. And we will read verse 15 to 20. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Verse 16, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Let me stop you there for one brief moment before we finish this passage out. We were talking about singing and music and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you know the verses we're reading here is an ancient hymn? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so think about that now. As you finish reading this passage, think about it in the context of a hymn and the words to a hymn. Hmm. All right, we're reading through uh, uh, verse 18, 19, 20. 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything on, uh, in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Yeah, somebody definitely needs to put this back to music again, put it, put it to music again. Uh, so that we can continue singing it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, now time for... Question of the Day. Okay, so this is a two-part question, and it says, Can you please explain how Jesus' baptism is the anointing of the Most Holy? And why does Bible Hub chronology say Jesus was baptized at 26 AD, yet others say 27 AD? Okay, let's see if we can figure out, see if we've got time for both of these answers. First of all, uh, why does... Remember the first part, first part again. So explain why Jesus' baptism at the anointing of is the anointing of the most holy. Okay, so why is Jesus' baptism the anointing of the most holy? And and why do we then date um obviously the prophecy of Daniel chapter nine, uh, which says you know, unto uh, you'll be seventy weeks are cut off for your people, but there will be you know seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety, mm-hmm. so day for a year four hundred ninety years. But then it goes on; it says there will be seven weeks, and um, sorry, sorry, uh, I'm getting all all confused in my mathematics here this morning. There'll be four hundred eighty three years till Messiah. Okay. And that date will bring you to the baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So why doesn't it bring you to the birth of Jesus? Why does it bring you to the baptism of Jesus? And why do we why do we equate the baptism of Jesus 
with the anointing of Jesus as Messiah. Because that was the start of his ministry? Yeah, absolutely it was. His public ministry. Yes, indeed. And there's more to it than that even. Mm. Okay, so when you look at Jesus in the Bible, there are many different names and titles for Jesus. Yes. Uh, I'm just looking at a list here that's got more than 50 in it. Mm-hmm. And so you've got you know, some like the Bridegroom, the Good Shepherd, the I Am, the King of Kings, the Lamb, the Lord, the Messiah, the Prophet, uh, the Rock, the Son of Man, the Son of God, uh, the Door, the Way, uh, Jesus, Emmanuel. The list goes on and on and on. There are many, many different names and titles for Jesus. Every one of those names and titles is given for a specific reason and is not just randomly chosen when you find it in the Bible. So when you find one of those names and titles, it's been chosen by the Holy Spirit to have that name or title of Jesus in that particular verse at that particular point. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to chapter Daniel 9 and uh, verse 24 where the Bible says, um, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to build and restore Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. There is your time zone, 483 years, so 69 weeks in total. Seven weeks and 62 weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. The Bible chooses here to use the word Messiah. Yes. It does not choose to use any of the other names of Jesus. Ah, And the reason that it's choosing to use the word Messiah is because the word Messiah means the anointed one. Right? Now, let's think about it this way. If it had said, you know, 69 weeks until Jesus, we would have to assume his birth. Mm -hmm. But when it says Messiah, that's pointing to his anointing. Okay, now watch this. If you go to uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Well, when did that happen? At his baptism. That happened at his baptism. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. The Father spoke from heaven. Jesus came up out of the water. He was anointed as Messiah at his baptism by the Holy Spirit, and his public ministry began from that point forward. We're going to have to finish part two of that question tomorrow. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.